We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. Darius and Mike today. Pete has been buried in Kobe videos and such, uh, and we'll be back next week. So we'll do a full Kobe pod uh, once we get Pete back. But Darius, I was fortunate to be essentially right next to the statue before it was revealed off to the corner, which was my spot for interviewing uh, any and every Laker legend uh, that we could get for the pregame show and for the statue ceremony show. And it was quite a scene in there. You were watching uh, and listening from afar. And I imagine had some of the same feelings uh, that I had being there in the building. What stood out the most to you for this kind of culmination and this day of mixed emotions and a lot of us trying to focus on celebration and trying to push some of the sad emotional feelings that were going to be there aside or at least have them meld together uh, in, in what was really a special day in honoring Kobe? Man, it looked like a great ceremony. I saw the little interview that you did with uh, Jabal Wilkes. It was great to see Silk there and and all of the other Lakers legends that were there. I actually thought that Jamal put it very well just in terms of the connection that everyone still has to the Lakers family and one of the few who has their jersey retired and that ongoing fandom that exists even within the league of former NBA players, this is a thing that I think the NBA does maybe better than any other league is keeping former players just around. Like you'll always see uh, like, here's a, here's a random Spurs game and there's Manu Ginobili. And it's just sort of like uh, we saw Powell, for example, at the Golden State Warriors game when the Lakers played up north. And just that idea of keeping the former greats around, I think, is always just wonderful. And it adds to that feeling of family and community that exists within the NBA. Watching on the live stream, like I was just struck by a the number of different people from like all of these different walks of life that were there to see the ceremony. And B, just all of the thoughtful words that were said by all of um, the speakers, right? Obviously, Vanessa culminated things with a great set of words, and, and she's been so poised in the aftermath of, of, of all of this. And then, like hearing Phil talk, Phil didn't speak at Kobe's memoriam. 
So hearing Phil talk and then obviously Fish and I thought Kareem was great. So just everyone did a great job, I thought. And then I wasn't sure what the statue was going to be. Was it going to be like an action shot of him doing like a fadeaway or was it going to be him on top of the scorer's table with his arms out wide? There are so many iconic Kobe images and they went with one of the most iconic ones, which was him walking off the court from his 81 point game. So the reveal was great as well. Like I just thought it was a very well done ceremony. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've I've been to a lot of these types of ceremonies for the Lakers honoring greats and they just do this better than anybody. And I think that there's a, there are a couple elements to this. One, you learn from experience. And since they've done a lot, you know, Jeannie and Linda really know how to get things done. And Vanessa was incredibly highly involved in this. And then I think that part of Los Angeles gets molded into this and that you have the best sound people and you have the best stage people. You have like actual Hollywood right there. Like these are the same people that do the audio for the Grammys, that do the video for the, uh, for the Emmys, you know, that build stages for movies. Like they do this. This is one thing that LA does. And to have that be wrapped up in, in Laker history and just it gives this real feel of gravity and importance. And, you know, with at the same time, because you just mentioned Kareem, perspective, as Kareem talked about where athletes are placed in the world, you know, kind of he thinks of them as as artists and and what they put out there to be consumed and, and to distract us and uh, from the hardness that a lot of people have in life and also to entertain us. And all of that context, of course, is what, this is what we did watching Kobe and, and, you know, me coming in later in 2008, but, you know, people like you watching Kobe for 20 years and the impact that he had. Kareem also defined this in a way, uh, he said, the statue may look like Kobe, but really it's what excellence looks like, what yeah. discipline looks like, what commitment looks like, what love of family looks like. And, you know, you're sitting there watching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one <laughs> of the greatest me. athletes in world history, talking about this and, and saying it in a really poignant way. And, and there's, Vanessa next to Natalia and, you know, and Capri and Bianca, like just watching and all of these people there, it was really meaningful. Uh, and it's, it's something that I'll certainly remember uh, for a long time. I want to shout out Stu. So Stu, who also witnessed and called Kobe's entire career, just brilliantly weaving all of this together and talking about Vanessa as a mom and, you know, introducing Kareem in a certain way and telling an anecdote about seeing a tear down Kobe's I after he lost a couple of one-on-one games and uh, by the way he wouldn't lose many other one-on-one games as his career went on uh, in Laker practices so he I thought he was brilliant uh, in just weaving it all together so Stu was great just the whole thing was fantastic the other thing I was going to say Mike is when you were talking about Kareem the line that he said about the statue being like a moment in time that's frozen but also this iconic thing that lives on forever, I just thought was this great juxtaposition of what we have within the context of sports, but also just in life. And I mentioned this a bit in three things for the pregame post yesterday for the Nuggets game, but the folks who were lucky enough to watch Kobe during his time, these are memories that they'll have forever. And Kobe will live forever because of those memories. But way after the fact, man, like you will have people who will go to this statue and they mentioned like all of the cool features that will exist, like QR codes and all kinds of stuff to be able to like access highlights and, and all of this stuff. And it's just like, he, he truly will live on forever. 
as one of the greats of the game and and obviously an icon of the franchise for the Lakers, but also what seemed clear to me um, as someone who's a bit removed from this, but obviously understanding of it, an icon of Los Angeles. And yeah. that stood out to me as well. Last part here, and then we'll pivot over to the game on what was quite an eventful day. As yes. this, was, this was all, it started at three o'clock. And then, you know, by the time everyone's leaving the arena, it's around midnight. But Phil Jackson was up there and, and I just enjoyed how Phil created this narrative of Kobe's career and one of growth in it. And how he, he talked about being honest about the struggles that they had when Kobe first came in and this precocious 22 year old that wanted it all and wanted it all now and how Phil tried to put him into a system and tried to at times discourage Kobe from taking over and then how the relationship with Shaq and how that evolved and until the point where Kobe was doing that and he was doing it in the finals, uh, you know, at such a young age. And then the challenges of the, what Phil called the year of discontent and, Eventually, he gets through the, the leadership phase. Kobe switches over to number 24. And this is after all of his great moments and images as an individual scorer, such as the 81-point game, which Phil talks about. And he talks about game seven. I was going to have – I was going to send go up and say, hey, Phil, you should watch Pete's video, uh, by the way, of, of the final yes. minutes of game seven. Because he talked about the six for 24. And I was like, well, yeah, but wait. But, but then in the fourth, he took – and Phil did mention that he took over. But Phil concludes all of this, all of this growth, with the story about them going on to Jay Leno. And Leno trying to make fun of Adam Morrison and Kobe saying, nah, he's one of us. He put in the work. You know, we don't we don't make fun of that. And just and Phil said that was the moment that he was proudest of him. And and I I came in when Kobe was already 24 and he had already transitioned into being that leader. And so what I always used to lean on Kevin Ding uh, and the the other reporters and columnists that had covered that team in the initial years, you know, when you and Pete were watching young Kobe, I didn't get to see that up and close. So. I came in and Kobe was already this uh, this sort of fierce uh, but good leader. And and that was different from how he was earlier in his career. And to be able to have these two different chapters and the Lakers honoring this this with the actual statue itself, the first one, and now we're going to get another statue. We're going to get Kobe. In, uh, well, I'm not sure if exactly what has been revealed about it, so I guess I won't say it now, but what the next statues are going to be. Um, and that, that we can save that for a later date. But this one was just brilliantly done um, all around, and it took a lot of people executing and a lot of people that were up close and personal. So that's something – another thing, Darius, that we can just put into that bank um, yeah. of what it's like to experience following the Lakers, and this, this will live on in that. The statue looked big too like how did it, it compare big. to like the other ones because i was just like that looks really really big well i uh, so my perspective so i i walked into this tent early and so the ceremony started at three or i guess the ceremony started at three thirty. the pregame show to the ceremony the pre-statue show started at 3. <laughs> yes so i was in there at about two o'clock and i walked in there and it was still the statue was covered but it was as tall it was you know it seemed like it was damn near three stories tall it's probably more like two and a half or something, but I looked up and I was like, what? Wow. Is it, is it elevated onto something for just for this, for the broadcast or is it something that's going to be moved to a different part of star Plaza? And then they reveal it. And it's of course this huge block right below Kobe. Uh, and you know, you almost, uh, my wife actually made a comment like you, you have to, if you're going to take a picture with it, right. It's you're kind of looking up or you have to go yeah. back in order to get you in it. And he's up there. 
you know, Kobe's up there, which, which I like in his, in his, you know, his finger is pointing up high and Rob Palenka actually spoke about kind of what that means to him in a different way. And, and, you know, people have different feelings about what's up in the heavens and, and all that, but there, there are a lot of, that's the point is you can individualize it to yourself. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you're thinking of the game. Maybe I'm thinking of, you know, of Kobe and, and his daughter, or, or maybe I'm thinking of Kobe. Uh, there's, you put that into your own context, but it is a big statue. And I think people will have to go experience it for themselves. And, and that's what's going to be cool is that now you can do that. Come on down to L.A. Yeah, a ton of symbolism. And we'll talk about this more when we got Pete back. But just a great, great event and celebration that came with some sadness. But overall, I think the vibe was celebratory. So let's take a break here. And when we come back, Mike, we will not be talking about a celebratory thing because we will have to get into another Lakers Nuggets game that felt a little too familiar for my taste. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's like Groundhog Day when it's playing the Nuggets to a certain extent, man. And I was pretty frustrated after the game for a variety of reasons. Pete had mentioned that after the game to us that he was more like disappointed And I felt some disappointment as well about the outcome, of course. But I was frustrated. I was upset. It's like Lucy with the football to a certain extent now, right? A little Peanuts and Charlie Brown reference there. Like another game that came down to the final minute. It's close. And the Lakers just could never really get all the way over the hump. They could never really take that lead. Tie game. And then a Jamal Murray three. And then um, a little run out. Jamal Murray runner. And then Austin helps off of Michael Porter Jr. to try to get a steal. And Jokic, eyes in the back of his head to a certain extent, lifts the ball up literally right when Austin is about to swipe in and hits Porter Jr. in the left-hand wing for another three. And that's basically the ball game, right? And so Lakers lose by eight. And I thought post-game Darvin saying that they fought hard, I thought that that was true. The Nuggets were without KCP, but the Lakers were without D'Angelo Russell, and the Lakers moved to 0-5 now in games that Russell doesn't play. I thought they missed Russell from an offensive perspective. And just another tough, tough loss um, in a measuring stick game, honestly, as, as I see it. The Lakers just haven't been able to get by the Nuggets, Mike. And so what was the view like from your perspective on the ground? And give me the whole thing, not just the game, but even afterwards, like the vibe of the team and everything. Yeah, this one's complicated for me because I, we just did the first segment on what was going on around the arena. And naturally, 
that buzz that left leaving the ceremony and of course fans weren't able to watch it in person it was in this tent but part it was built up part of partly because of the rain and because just if we if the lakers would have invited all laker fans that you know it would have been probably like the parade uh it just so <laughs> yes. many people that would have wanted to come and pay tribute and so of course that wasn't going to be palatable but people coming to the game you know understood there was going to be some elements of the kobe experience there for example the Mamba jerseys, right? It, like that's that's the biggest one, and the giveaway of the Black Mamba jersey when you entered the arena, uh, and a lot of people watched the ceremony prior, and so there it was. Kobe was in the air, and it felt like some mix of a playoff game, kind of intensity wise, and then people just wanting to celebrate Kobe, and and then to put that on essentially those players against the Nuggets and the players wanted to deliver that too. But I have been to a lot of these types of games now. There of course was the game after Kobe passed away, incredibly difficult, uh, about as difficult as it gets, you know, Lakers lost that game. Uh, there was in a different circumstance, LeBron passing Kareem for the all-time scoring record against OKC last year. The Lakers lost that game. Even when Kobe used to play in those last couple of seasons where he was like passing people for all time records and getting like all time Lakers leading score and all of these things that were like momentous games. I feel like the Lakers lost a fair amount of those games. There's always this atmosphere where it's complicated, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and why why is that in part is because you are thinking about different things uh, than what you're trying to do from an execution standpoint. And guess who wasn't? In this case, Denver. Denver just does what Denver does. It, it, and when all else fails, oh, Jamal Murray, top of the key, Nikola Jokic, two-man game. I put this to LeBron after the game, and he said, well, it, it's not just a two-man game. It's, it's also kind of a three-man game. Like, think about what Michael Porter Jr. was doing. But but yes, it, it really does center around that that duo and the comfort level that they have playing with each other and the level that they're able to execute is just way higher than what the Lakers are able to do right now. LeBron and AD have a certain amount of that that they can run, but it's not the same. Uh, and, and the teammates that were around them in this case are not the same as what Denver is used to when you include Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. and Reggie Jackson, who's been there for a couple of years now. And, and even the young guys, Christian Brown and, and uh, Brown and Peyton Watson, they have known nothing else other than that system. And they just have to be little cogs in it. And that's not really how the Lakers play. And I thought, so that's, that's one element. The second element, and this is also related to the ceremonies, that Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves were at the ceremony. And they, in particular, in the first half, I thought, yeah. were wrapped up in kind of in what was going on and not playing their typical game. And I definitely do not blame them for that because I was about five feet away from Austin and Rui uh, taking all of this Laker greatness in and trying to process this. And then, okay, I'm going to go warm up now. And then the game's starting. And I'm going to defend Jamal Murray. And and it just was kind of a haphazard thing. They tried to get through it with energy uh, and effort, even if it didn't always come directly in the ways of like diving on the floor or sprinting in transition. I'm sure Pete uh, may make a comment about that when we get back uh, when we get him back in the pod next week. But I just had some sympathy, I think, for the for the overall events and for whenever the Lakers were trying to make a run, there was a an offensive rebound turning into a. Uh, 30 foot three from Jamal Murray. Oh, yep. They just back breaking type shots that happened that Denver hit all Western conference finals long and gets credit for. They just did. They just, they hit the shots they need to hit. They made the plays. It's why they're the champions. 
I don't know that they're going to be able to sustain this for another run, but right now that is what they've done. That's what they do. And I don't think that this knocks the Lakers off course necessarily uh, from where they were. I, I think that a lot, the health part of it might, right? With Max Christie going out on top of Russell being out on top of Vanderbilt uh, and already Vincent and Reddish like that. It's not great, but the game itself, I, I don't take a ton from. I think I was frustrated by a lot of factors. Um, I appreciate you giving grace to Austin and Rui. Rui did not have a good game at all. So Austin found his stride a bit, like in the second half. But without yeah, Austin, Russell... Ten, ten assists, one turnover. He, he couldn't. He was yes. 0 for 6 to start, couldn't hit anything. But he ends totally. up 6 for 16, you know, scores late, hits a 3. Uh, but the assisted turnover, I thought especially, was good. Yeah, like he definitely... Austin's been finding his way as a passer and and a playmaker. And he's been really... He's been doing really well with his reads, I feel like, as as a passer. Um, he's been throwing more lobs. He's been making more skips. Like, there's just been a lot of advancement within his game there. Um, but this was a game where they needed his scoring, Mike. Like, Jokic and Murray and Porter Jr. combined for 80 points of Denver's 114. Porter Jr., I think he had 27. Murray had 29. Jokic had 24. Austin and Torian Prince, and Prince had a good game. He was four for six. He had 13 points. But Austin and Prince combined for 29. And Porter Jr. scored 27 all on his own as like the third guy. On a game where the Lakers didn't have D'Angelo Russell, I thought they needed one or both of Austin and Rui to sort of step into a bigger offensive role and score. And while Austin found his stride a bit as a scorer in the second half, mostly he found his outside shot a little bit in the first half. He was only able to score like in the restricted area. But the fact that I I felt like the Lakers needed them in the first half as much as anything. Right. And so down by double digits and just Denver sort of keeping them at bay. Um, I thought in the second half, the Lakers did a much better job of playing with pace and playing with tempo and really like executing within the half court. LeBron and Austin did a really good job, I thought, of running their um, pick and roll with Austin as the ball handler and uh, LeBron really slashing hard to the basket. He got two or three layups on pick and rolls with good passes from Austin. The LeBron AD pick and roll um, produced some fruit there too. But just not having that third sort of guy that was able to elevate and get to the 20, 25 point range when Denver had that dude in Porter Jr., I thought was was critical. And the shot making for Murray, I thought was just backbreaker shot after backbreaker shot, Mike, whenever they had a chance to um, or whenever they needed a bucket, it was Murray. I felt like that was there to say, I got you guys. And the three that he hit um, to untie the game when the game was sort of in the balance there. And then they run that. They've got this beautiful action, Mike, where they have the ball with Jokic up high. Um, Murray passes it to Jokic. And then he like sets a couple of screens and then sets a back screen for Porter Jr. And then he comes off of like a handoff action, like straight up, almost like an elevator action. But it's only it's only one screener with Jokic and he's running the handoff. And it's just a very difficult play to navigate and they run that a lot in crunch time and they ran it again and they got Murray in open three um, and he buried it to, to his credit. And that was a backbreaker of a shot. 
just a tough game, really. And heading into tonight now, they've got another tough matchup with a really good Pelicans team. So let's take take a break here. And when we come out the other side, I want to talk a little bit about the Pelicans game. But I also want to talk about the trade deadline, Mike, in which the Lakers did not make a move and how that sets them up, not only for the Pelicans game, but for the rest of the season now. All right, so let's start with the fact that this is the roster now, and we spent a lot of time. And, you know, Darius, I'm not going to say that you wasted my time by sending 700,000 trade ideas. And I and I thought that I was, you know, as nice about it as I could be. Uh, you were and, gracious. And were some, you were gracious. <laughs> and, and, when, and when, it's not that you did by the way, it's not that you didn't have some good ideas. You do have good ideas. Okay, I just don't know that they're always the best ideas for the other team uh, in in <laughs> in those types of context. Oh man, I'm I'm mostly joking here, but it's this is a uh, it's all part of the fun, right? It's all part of the fun. And what ends up happening though now essentially is nothing. And I thought Rob Palenka explained it pretty well when he said, "You can't buy a house that's not for sale," and that doesn't mean that there weren't you know any players that uh, the Lakers couldn't have acquired, but I had felt all along that there weren't players that were worth the difference between giving up an asset uh, in terms of what an upgrade would be for who was on the roster. And the Lakers have enough on the roster if properly aligned in terms of who's starting and what groups are playing together and who's healthy that there wasn't some, somebody that was going to necessarily come in and completely change that equation. I do think that they can add somebody in the buyout market. Uh, and that, that is one way that we had discussed. Instead of having to give up something, you can just yeah. pay somebody else for the 15th spot once another team doesn't want to pay them for whatever reason. So that could, that could serve as a, as a, as a good function here. But the context that I want to turn this to and, and, and certainly get your trade deadline comments, but going into the Pelicans game. And I think part of the problem is that including D'Angelo Russell, you mentioned Lakers are 0 5 without him. Uh, and including Max Christie now being questionable after turning his ankle, you know, different bodies available going into a tough game on a back-to-back against New Orleans, a team that smashed the Lakers last time to avenge what the Lakers did to them in the in-season tournament. Uh, that that's when you kind of think, well, now it would have been a good time to have some additional talent in, even if we totally understand all of the reasons that nothing happened. Yeah. I thought Rob's, the contextual stuff with trades, and this is why, like, hey, man, I send a bunch of ideas, like, in the trade machine, and your point about, like, you don't know if it's the best idea for the other team. Me and Pete always talk about how the other team has coaches, too, right? And so when we talk about game planning and what goes into winning a basketball game, well, the other team has the GM, too. And that GM is looking out for their own team's interests and what they're asking for in return for things that the Lakers may want could be too high of a price for the Lakers to pay. It's funny. I was um, sort of complaining and this is halfway joking, but also halfway like the reality of the world is that I'm not always sure, Mike, that like the price You know, when you go into a convenience store or when you go to like a swap meet or a place like that and there's no prices on stuff and you ask which one I need, which I need to have to clear my, I'm, I'm thinking of a, um, of a convenience store. Okay. I'm going with your first. So let's actually go to a swap meet instead. You ever been to like a big swap meet where it's like, where it's time to haggle with someone basically. 
I have uh, I have haggled in uh, more in foreign countries uh, than in the United States in in China um, and in Italy. In my in Italy, I I purchased uh, twenty silk ties for what ended up being about four American. Well, probably more than that. Probably like fifteen American dollars and. That was my proudest. That was my proudest haggling moment. I had no money at the time. I had just started in the NBA. I had a little harder time doing it in China when I at least had some money. And when I was like, but but yes, go on. I'm thinking of Italy. Italy, Mike. Italy, Mike on the streets with the vendors for silk ties. So there's no prices on stuff, right? And when sometimes you go into these places and they're eyeing you up as well, and they're sort of thinking, well, what can this dude pay for this thing? that he's asking. And then someone else might come up and the price for the next person isn't the same price that they said to you. Maybe your price is higher because you've got a designer belt on or you've got a fresh new pair of kicks on and they're just like, oh, this dude, this dude's got some money. So this dude can pay. So I'm going to say, like, I want this from you. And so I was thinking back to, remember last year's trade deadline? when there were all these reports about what the Pistons might want for Boyan yeah. Bogdanovich or what the Pacers might want for Buddy Heald or what all of these teams might want for player X. And this is the price, especially if you're the Lakers, this is the price. Well, here, and like, So basically, <laughs> Rob Palenka is wearing a fitted Tom Ford suit right yes. with with some with some limited edition kobe's uh, on or and or if not like louis vuitton shoes or something and the he's fresh got some Prada sunglasses on he's, yes. exactly he's got, some, he's got all that he's got all that he might have a gucci scarf uh you know like the whole that's how the lakers should be treated when they walk in oh man 100 percent, mike it, it's so the fact that they didn't make a deal to me is understandable. I also think that the idea of them being more aggressive this summer is obvious. I think that the Lakers are always looking to be aggressive, but aggression will only take you so far if the other team is just like, well, give me everything you've got or give me much more than what you think is reasonable to pay. And at that point, well, if you're at the swap meet, then you turn around and you walk away and you go look for the next vendor. What what kind of fit are the Pistons and Wizards wearing in this context? Oh, man, they're disheveled. <laughs> Mike, they're disheveled. Oh, man, it is. <laughs> they're like a, they're like at the auction, like the repo auction, where it's just like, oh, they're just giving stuff away, man. Oh, they, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's Anyways. Tough. And so this is where the Lakers are. And there's bigger discussions to be had about like, maybe there will be a buyout deal. Maybe. And LeBron mentioned this too. It's just like after the game where he said the biggest thing for us is still health. And I think that LeBron probably feels same, some of the same frustration that we all feel, which is, can we just have our team? And can we have our team for an extended period of time so that we can play together and start to build out some stuff but that doesn't look like it's going to be tonight, Mike. I don't know if D'Lo is going to play tonight. Um, he was he was not on the injury report yesterday. And so we will see if he's on today's injury report. I have not seen anything released yet. I'm sure he will be. Uh, I'm sure he will be on the report. Yeah. After after missing the game. I Yes. You mentioned. Yeah. This is a we don't want to too often you know, put our own experience onto what's going to happen with the players. But just from being there yesterday. It was a, a very heavy emotional and just and physical and just all of it, mental load. And now to have to go back 
to the arena to play a team that is rested, that just just smashed the Clippers two days ago, a Clipper team that had barely been losing for the last two months. And, you know, looking very impressive doing so, and it's going to be feeling good about themselves. You know, it's a, it is going to be a tough challenge mentally. And on top of that, back to back, which LeBron and AD, uh, you know, over the course of the trip, right? Like AD didn't play uh, in the first back to back. Of course they, so we'll see uh, about all that. We'll see who's available and how they're feeling. And then, Max Christie, is he going to be able to play with a sprained ankle? If not, Skylar Mays. Hey, I actually like Skylar Mays and what he did Mays. in the game. Yeah. You know, so they may need, they very well may need Skylar Mays. And that's especially if D'Angelo Russell can't go. And Darius, it's less common for players just generally in the NBA. Um, we just saw this happen with, with uh, LaMelo Ball, for example, in Charlotte. Like it's, it's less common for a player who misses the front leg of a back to back to just then play the, the second leg, uh, unless it's pre planned like a day's rest or something. And yeah. so I'm, you know, I have some skepticism. If Ru- if Russell was not well enough to play with the knee on Thursday, then I'm not sure that overnight it got better enough to play on Friday. And so, you know, the Lakers are, the way that they beat New Orleans back in the in-season tournament, to just wrap up this thought here, is that LeBron was out of his mind defensively on Zion early and kind of took him out of the game. Zion is much better today than he was at that time. And I don't know that LeBron, it, this is not the in-season tournament semifinal, you know, it, so it's a, this is going to be a challenge for the Lakers heading into this one. And I wonder what your top line thoughts are about how they might get it done. No, this is really about a player availability. Um, I remember the last time that the last time and really one of the only times I can remember a player sitting the front end of a back-to-back and playing the second end, particularly for the Lakers was when Jared Vanderbilt did that. Remember he missed the Mavs game? on the front end of a back-to-back and then played the next night. And it was just like, oh, look, Vandell's actually playing. And I remember being legitimately surprised that he played that second night. And so that speaks to your point about it not happening very often. I do think, Mike, that tonight's game is going to be about defense. It is going to be about who do you have um, to defend the sort of high-end talent uh, scoring players that the Pelicans have. And... Is LeBron going to be engaged on Zion? And what's AD looking like on on the back line? The trickier part, though, to me, Mike, is that with so many point of attack guys injured, without Vando, without Reddish, Brandon Ingram's going to be a problem. The Pelicans offer three sort of dynamic scoring type of players, right? And... The Lakers don't necessarily have a lot of great answers for any of those three, save the LeBron against Zion and AD against Zion, like when they're playing, when their motors are revving high. But Ingram and McCollum both against the uh, group of available defenders that the Lakers have without Reddish, without Vando, without Vincent, maybe without Max. It's like these are their top four like point of attack guys, basically. And the Lakers are going to need offense then to compete in this game. And can Austin find his groove? Can Rui find his groove? Can this be a night where LeBron's jumper is going in? Because I think that this is where the Lakers will need to make a difference is on the offensive side of the ball. I think if they bring the requisite energy defensively, particularly on the back line with LeBron and AD, that they can hang. But If they have a repeat performance of what they did offensively, like in the first half against Denver, it's going to be a problem 
for them because New Orleans has the ability to score the ball. And I don't know if the Lakers have enough defensively to really slow them down. I think it's going to be this offensive battle. Now, maybe I'll be wrong about that, but that's kind of how I see the game unfolding. And that's why it would be super helpful if Russell played. But again, like I don't anticipate that either. Yeah, uh, to me, the player that can break this game is Anthony Davis. And if, especially if Jonas Valanciunas doesn't play and you know he's going to be questionable, he left the last game um, with a, a calf issue against the Clippers, then they're going to start pretty small at, you know, Larry Ness Jr. And Darius, you just referred to this a little bit, but that's it. That is a, it's a bit of a different team. And then they're coming in, continuing to be small. And you're going to see like more Dyson Daniels. And they've got a lot of really good perimeter length um, on that end to sort of bother uh, if it's going to be Austin who's going to have to make more plays and it's going to have to be on and and LeBron to an extent so that's that's a big part of the challenge but they don't necessarily have somebody that can deal with Anthony Davis uh, and you know can this be a game where AD after playing 38 minutes and scoring 32 points you know, pretty efficiently having seven stocks he had four blocks and three steals against ever like he he put a lot uh, into trying to get the Lakers to the promised land. And that one, you know, can he bounce back from an energy standpoint, from a mentality standpoint off of the Kobe statue night uh, and deliver? Uh, and, you know, maybe one thing that can help is the Lakers can tell themselves they don't have to play again until Tuesday. Uh, it's a very, very rare, completely off weekend. No game Saturday, no game Sunday, uh, no game Monday. And maybe they can they can find a way to push through from an energy standpoint and try to just not sink back to 500 again, you know, try to build on this. And especially against the Pelicans team that if they're going to hope to catch in the standings, this would be a pretty important game where they can add a loss to the Pelicans and they can try to add a win to themselves. Um, Darius, last thing I wanted to wrap up. I, I, I was thinking when I was talking about the statue before Vanessa did say, right, it's going to be Kobe and Gianna the second statue and then the third one will be Kobe wearing number 24 and that will be complete the triumvirate. We'll get kind of more full de- uh, details on that later. And we'll certainly get all of Pete's reactions to uh, what was a, what was a lot of work being put in uh, to the Kobe week. So a lot going on as always in uh, Lagerland areas. As always, Mike. And so we will be back on Monday. Hopefully the Lakers get a win tonight against the pelicans and last question for you mike who you got in the super bowl quick 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 you know i'm gonna give the tiebreaker to patrick mahomes, uh, patrick mahomes and the chiefs i think both teams are great uh, both teams have a, a good chance to win but if i if i have to make a the difference making position there it's gonna be uh qb1 there and i think that's where the chiefs have their advantage so i'm going chiefs and you are up in the bay so i am up in the bay my wife is rooting for the 49ers. Pete, as you know, is a 49ers guy. And so, yeah. but I will say like, let's see if the Niners can get this done. But I hear you on Mahomes, man. He's pretty good. So, yeah. so, well, so we will we'll see. see. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. This has been the Laker Phil Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, stick so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you Again. kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.